there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. So the Bible reading this morning is from Matthew 25, 14 to 30. The parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the one who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have Even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good morning. My name's Mark Lilly and um, I have the awesome privilege of serving at our campus just down the road in Forestdale. We are all going to join us in uh, a couple of weeks' time for a partnership meeting as Sarah's already highlighted. Uh, Look forward to hopefully seeing you over there. Brian preached a great sermon last week. I don't know if you were here last week, but Brian preached an an amazing sermon. And um, one of the things he spoke about was that in chapter 25 of Matthew, Jesus was encouraging his disciples to be ready at all times. Uh, Jesus was actually sitting on the Mount of Olives um, and he's having a private conversation with his disciples. He's about to be crucified and he's sort of pulling his closest and dearest into him and he's having a private conversation with them 
He's saying to them, hey guys, after I'm gone, this is how I want you to live. As my followers, these are some of the responsibilities that you're going to be entrusted with. Today we're actually finishing our series on um, life in the kingdom and the parables in Matthew. And uh, it's a great place to finish because we're asked the question, how will I live? How should I live in the kingdom of God? What responsibilities do I have as somebody who is living in his kingdom? So coming to today's parable, we're going to break it up into three parts. There's the giving of the talents, there's the responses, and then there's the settling of accounts. So firstly, the giving of the talents. So Jesus is describing for his disciples what life will be like in the kingdom, what it's going to look like after his death, resurrection, and he's ascended to his father. And he uses an analogy of a man going on a, on a long, long journey, and that's symbolic of the journey that Jesus himself is about to go on. But before he heads off on this journey, he wants to entrust his servants with some fairly significant responsibilities, just like the man, the master in the parable. Now, I don't know about you, but when I invest, I don't do it too regularly, but when, when, we, when I invest my money, um, I, I want to invest it in a superannuation fund that's going to give some decent return. You put it in the bank and you hope that it might earn you some interest or you might buy a property. You hope that it will appreciate in value. We expect to make a profit. And, and in this parable, that's essentially what the master expected of his servants. He wants them to steward their responsibilities well and make a profit. Some translations say that uh, the NIV that we've read this morning says he gave them bags of gold. Other translations say he gave bags of silver, but the Greek actually doesn't mention gold or silver. It talks about talenton, talenton. So one servant was given uh, one talenton, another was given two and another five. And a talenton was actually a measure. It was a way of measuring money and they would weigh it. They'd put it on the scales and it, it, it weighed anywhere between 26 and 36 kilos, and, and it, it could include either copper coins, silver coins, or gold coins. But even though there was a variation in the weight of a talenton, the, the, the general value was around 6,000 denarii, 6,000 denarii. And the average person earned about one denarii a day. So this is about 15 to 20 years worth of wages, one talenton is about 15 to 20 years worth of wages. So if we sort of play that forward into today's terms, this is a bit speculative, but some would say it was worth as much as up to $1 million. One talent on $1 million, because that's what, that's what 15 to 20 years worth of wages might look like in, in our day and age. This is pretty big money. These guys are entrusted with some fairly significant coin. It wasn't loose pocket change. Jesus was using this word talenton metaphorically though, to, to, to refer to God-given ability and aptitudes. And so our English word talent actually derives from this word talenton. Our word talent means aptitude or abilities. So this parable speaks about personal gifts. It speaks about the, the, the aptitudes and abilities that are given by God to each one of us. Now, talents could include money. God entrusts some of us with lots of money. I don't find myself in that camp, unfortunately. Um, but he entrusts some of us with lots and lots of money. But even the money that God does entrust to us, he wants us to steward it well. 
For some of us, it includes other gifts and abilities um, that are unique just to you. As I look around in our Kerry community, I see people who are gifted with all sorts of talents. We saw four amazing young girls up here this morning who are making the most of the talent on that God has given to them. They've got these hearts of compassion and they're wanting to sow into the lives of other people. That was just so encouraging to see that this morning. Some of you have the ability to talk to absolutely anybody and befriend absolutely anybody. You've got just relational capacity oozes out of you. It's a gift from God. Some of you have amazing creative flair and you can just make things look amazing and beautiful and just draw people in visually or through what you can create. Some of us are gifted financial managers like my wife. I'm not a good financial manager. She manages our finances. Uh, Some of us have incredible organisational administrative capabilities and some of us are gifted teachers. We have so many gifted teachers in our community here at Kerry. We've got amazing communicators, academics, people who are awesome cooks like Martha. Um, Since we've moved down to Forestdale, I miss Martha's brownies and I love Martha every time I get the, the opportunity to participate in your brownies. Some people are good with their hands, they're good artists or they're musicians and the list goes on and on and on because God's gifted us in so many unique and different ways. In this parable, the servants receive different amounts according to their ability. We read that in verse 15 and God um, does the same thing with each one of us. This isn't because he favours some of us more than others. It's not because he favours us more than others. It's because because we are all created in God's image. We all reflect the image of our master. But we're not all the same. We're not all the same. And we don't all receive the same types of talents. We don't receive the same amount of talents. Each one of us has ability that's unique to us. It's something innate that God has built into you. But what's clear in this parable is that we all get something. We all get something. We receive something that's unique to us. Even, the, even this servant who received one talent received something that was incredibly valuable, potentially worth as much as a million dollars. Paul picks up on this idea in a whole bunch of different places in his uh, writings in the New Testament. But in Romans, uh, he talks about this idea of God giving different gifts to different people. So in Romans 12, 6 to 8, we read, we have different gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift's prophesying, then prophesy. If If your gift is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then, in, then encourage. And it goes on. Each person receives something different from God. But we, all of those gifts equally flow from God's grace and they're manifest in our lives as, as a result of God's grace being manifest in our lives. Now you might look around the room and think, oh man, I wish I was like that person. I wish I had that gift. Peter Scott's really good at doing that. Or Jeff Miller's really good at doing that. And, and, and we kind of might look around at one another and think, wow, I wish I had that gift. Their gift is awesome. But God doesn't give any of us substandard gifts. Every single talent that he gives us is a symbol of his grace. It's a symbol of his generosity. So you might have only received one talent, but your talent 
is worth as much as a million bucks. It's got significant value and, and it's given from an incredibly generous place from God. And he's given it to you for a purpose. God gives us talents for a reason. So we all have amazing talents, but the focus of this parable is actually not on the talents themselves. It's actually on stewardship. The focus is on stewardship. So that moves us to the responses of the three servants. How did these servants respond to the talents that they received? It wasn't uncommon for a master to entrust money to their servants as they did in this particular parable. And they were expected to generate a profit. So these servants would have known what was expected of them. You don't kind of just leave somebody with a big wad of cash and not expect them to do anything with it. So they, they knew that their responsibility was to try and make an attempt to steward this money well and hopefully generate a profit for their master. The servant who received five talents, he went out at once. He heads out immediately and he, he gets to work. This servant shows diligence and he realises he's got a responsibility to his master and so he gets to work straight away. The parable doesn't tell us what he did or how he did it. That's actually not the point. The key point is that this guy got to work. He used the gifts that God had entrusted to him and he was diligent in using and applying those gifts. And the second servant, he does exactly the same. He rushes out and he, he puts his hand to the plough and he gets to work, he gets busy. He's diligent in using this stuff that God's entrusted to him. Then in verse 18, we read about the third servant and he does nothing with the money that's entrusted to him. He just digs a hole and he buries it and he leaves it in the ground for safekeeping. He had so much less to lose than the other two servants, but he didn't use the stuff that God had given to him. He wasn't diligent. Perhaps this guy was fearful. Maybe he was scared that if I step out, I might fail. Maybe he had self-doubt. But the point is, he didn't steward his responsibility well. So the question comes to ask, as disciples of Jesus, how do we respond to the talents that have been given to us? Does being good stewards of the things that God has entrusted to us, that we run out and quit our day jobs and, and, and work full time? No, it doesn't, but not necessarily. But what it does mean is that we use those things that God's given to us diligently. We use them diligently. Wherever we are, whatever it is we find ourselves doing, we use those talents that God has given to us and we serve faithfully in whatever it is that He might call you to. Because each of us has something. And you're the only person that can steward the something that God has entrusted in your life. Your wife or your husband or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your family members or your friends can't steward the talent that God has put in your life because they're your gifts. They're things that he has given to you so you need to steward them. In about five weeks time, we will celebrate Christmas and um, I love receiving gifts. I love giving gifts. Heather and I have actually worked out what we're gonna give to one of our family members. And um, one of my other family members who will remain nameless tried to trick me and said, oh, what was it you were getting for this person again? 
and I nearly said it. I'm one of those people that kind of likes to lock down and if somebody, if somebody buys a gift for somebody else and they come to me and say, hey, guess what I bought for so-and-so? Don't tell me. I want to enjoy the surprise of watching them opening the gift and, and just enjoying that moment. So Heather and I have decided what we're going to get for this particular family member. And I think it's an awesome gift. I think it's a gift that's going to bring them lots of happiness and enjoyment. If we give this gift to this individual and we go around to their house a week after Christmas or six months after Christmas and it's still sitting in the box, I'm going to think, man, what a wasted opportunity. That is an awesome gift. Do you realise how amazing this gift is? But if I see them using their gift, I actually get, I derive so much pleasure from watching people and participating in just, just the enjoyment that they get from using their gift. It brings me a sense of joy and happiness. And as I was thinking about this, I, I imagine that that's how God responds when He sees us using the gifts that He gives to us. I imagine God looking at people using the stuff that he puts in their lives as they're stewarding it, as they're using it. I imagine God deriving a sense of pleasure and joy and happiness from watching us use the talents that he's given to us. Jesus is about to leave his disciples and he's going on a long journey. He's going on a long journey and he entrusts doing the work of his kingdom to these 12 guys. In the same way he trusts, he entrusts the work of his kingdom to us. He gives us a whole range of different gifts and he says, go for it, go for it. The responsibility we have as recipients of those gifts is just to use them, to steward them well, to be diligent. But there's actually incredible grace in this particular parable. Brian mentioned this last week in the parable that he spoke about. There's time if you have not yet discovered what your God-given gift is. If you're sitting there wondering, I just got no idea what my gift is. There's time for you to, there's time for you to discover what that gift is. If you think, Mark, I have tried using my gift and I failed, there's grace in this parable because there's time. There's time. There's time. God puts things in our hands. He just wants us to have a go at using them. That brings us to the third and final part of the parable. And this is the settling of accounts. This is in verses 19 to 30. In verse 19, we read that after a long time, the master returned and he settled accounts with each of his servants. Jesus doesn't say how long the master was away for, but the servants have clearly had sufficient amount of time to use the, the gifts that were entrusted to them. They've had time to invest and to make a return. The picture here is actually one of Jesus returning himself after he has been away on a long journey. And he comes to us and there's a settling of accounts. So each servant become, comes before the master and they describe to him what they've done with their money. The first two doubled the amount, so the servant that received two handed over four bags of money. The servant who received five gave back ten. And the master calls them good and faithful. He affirms these guys. He affirms their character. He affirms them for the diligence that they've shown in stewarding their gifts well. And it's ironic that he acknowledges them for being faithful over a few things, given the amount of money 
that he actually entrusted to them. This was in modern day terms, two and five million dollars. And the master says, thanks for being faithful in stewarding small things. Perhaps it's because in his kingdom, in the kingdom of God, it's a place of incredible riches where these kind of amounts of money are actually minuscule in comparison to the greatness of his kingdom. But these two servants have been faithful and the master promises to open further doors of opportunity for them and that he will entrust them with even more responsibility. The way the master commends these guys is actually quite commendable because in this culture, to be a servant, to be a slave was a thankless task. The way he praises them was incredibly rare, incredibly rare. Something that speaks to the goodness, something that speaks to the care, something that speaks to the kindness of our God. Well done, good and faithful servants. Then we come to the third servant. In the ancient world, digging a hole, burying something, burying, burying something in the hole was fairly common practice. It was common practice. So what he did was not unusual. He preserved the talent. He didn't lose the talent, but he did nothing with the talent. He didn't try and steward the responsibility that had been entrusted to him. So he makes no profit. He starts off by trying to justify his own failure by pointing the finger at character flaws in his master. I'm not sure what this guy was actually thinking at this point. I was thinking about if I was in a workplace and and the boss came up and said, hey, Mark, I've got uh, some concerns about your performance in this area. I wouldn't respond. The first thing out of my mouth would not be, well, you are a so-and-so. But that's essentially what this guy does. He starts to poke holes in his master's character. He said, you're a hard man. That's my excuse. You are a hard, harsh individual. You sow and reap, you reap where you haven't sown. And this is just an attempt, perhaps to cover up his own poor stewardship. Perhaps he really did see his master in this light. Perhaps he was motivated by the fear of failure, the fear of losing the talent that had been entrusted to him. And after he finishes giving his response, the master responds with wicked and lazy servant because he failed to steward his responsibility. If the servant really thought that his master was so hard, surely he could have invested his money in the bank. It wouldn't have taken that much effort for him to invest his money in the bank. They didn't have the big four banks like we do today, which was probably a good thing because there definitely would be no guarantee of any return. But... Temples, money changers, they were like the they were like functioned like banks in the ancient world. So you could go and deposit some money at the temple or with a money changer, and you'd get a modest rate of return. It wouldn't have taken a whole lot of effort for this servant to do that, but he doesn't do that. Now this is conjecture, this is pure conjecture on my part. But I suspect that had this servant put his money in the bank and there was the equivalent of a global financial crisis and he makes and he's, 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 he loses half of his master's money because the banks in Jerusalem are wiped out and he loses half of the money. 
I think his master would have been perfectly fine with that outcome because he made some effort. He tried, he endeavoured to steward his responsibility, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. I think it's because this particular servant has an underlying heart problem. He has a heart condition. And so that results in him failing to steward his responsibility well. The master's response, he he seems to acknowledge the servant's claim that he's harvested where he hasn't sown, he's gathered where he he didn't scatter. And that's, that's not because he was unethical in his practices, but he has a keen eye for business. This master has a keen eye for business. But what the master doesn't acknowledge is that he was a hard man. He doesn't acknowledge that he was a hard man. If he really was a hard master, it would be very unlikely for him to entrust the kind of money that he did with his his servants. The other servants don't appear to be afraid of their master. So this third servant has something of a skewed view of God. He's got a skewed view of his master. Actually, God is an incredibly good and generous master who lavishes so many incredibly good gifts on us. He's not this mean and cranky guy sitting up on a cloud waiting to punish us when we fail in stewarding our responsibilities. He wants us to succeed in the kingdom work that he's entrusted to us. He wants us to flourish as we step out and have a go at stewarding our responsibilities. This guy has the completely wrong view of God. And so that closes him down and he doesn't have a go. Because he's wicked and lazy, the master took his money from him. He gave, it to the, he gave it to the servant who initially received five. Jesus demonstrates here an important spiritual principle. If someone has a talent and they don't steward it well, they'll lose it. But if someone has a talent and they do steward it well, it will grow, it will develop and it will flourish. Ultimately, this servant was judged. He's thrown into outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not a good place that this servant ends up. The picture here is of a final judgment of people standing before God, our master giving an account for what we've done. It's important for us to remember at this point that this parable is given within the context of Jesus having a private conversation with his disciples. They're the ones who will carry on the work of his mission the work of building God's kingdom. They're each entrusted with various gifts that need to be stewarded well after the master leaves. Jesus knows that they're going to face opposition. Jesus knows that they'll face temptation and fear and many other life circumstances that might prevent them from stewarding their talents well. But the disciples did steward their talents well and they will stand before God and hear, well done, You've been good and faithful servants. The same is true for us. Accepting the call to discipleship means that we also accept the responsibility to steward our talents for the purposes of his kingdom. The parable prompts me to ask myself, Mark, ask yourself this question, where do you fit in this story? And if I'm totally honest, there are times when I identify with the servants who were faithful, who saw a return, who invested well, who stewarded well. And there are times when I identify with the other guy, the guy that the guy that didn't steward his responsibilities well. So back to our opening question, how should we live in the kingdom? 
In Australia, one of our very many unique sayings is have a go, have a go. At its most basic level, that's the invitation that comes to each of us in this parable. It's about recognising that God's uniquely equipped each of us. He's uniquely gifted each of you. He wants us to use our talents and abilities. He wants us to just have a go, have a go at using the things that he's put into our hands for his kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a good master, that you are a good, good master. We thank you that you give us so many good gifts. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to steward our gifts well, to steward those things that you have put in our hands well. I pray that you would encourage us to just have a go to step out and to use the things that you have given to us so that we might be engaged and involved in the work of extending your kingdom. Amen.